Hello, and welcome to the Strategic Finance Lab podcast, home of Neu Group interviews and insights about the future of finance and the office of the CFO. I'm Anthony Michaels, editor of Neu Group Insights. In this episode, Neu Group founder and CEO Joseph Neu has a wide-ranging conversation with Ron Chakravarti, the head of Global Treasury Advisory at Citi, the bank where he's worked for the past 17 years. Ron's three decades in finance and consulting have made him a respected treasury expert and a trusted advisor of hundreds of companies looking to improve their management of liquidity, working capital, and risk. In the podcast, Ron shares his insights about treasury, including some from a recent city GPS study he co-authored titled Treasury Leadership, Does It Matter?, One key takeaway is that companies that deliver superior financial performance also have top-performing treasury leaders and teams. Ron describes the fundamental building blocks that make those successful treasury teams stand apart, as well as the value of principles-led decision-making and the importance of technology. At the end of the interview, Ron explains to Joseph his lifelong passion for science fiction. But they start in the real world by exploring Ron's background, his path through finance, and his globe-trotting life here on planet Earth. Enjoy the show. Here's Joseph. Ron, so thanks for being here. It's great to have you with us on the podcast. Before we launch into talking about treasury things, which we always enjoy doing, I wanted to hear a little bit about your background. You you and I have known each other for a long time, but I actually don't know as much as I probably should about your background, how you made it here to New York, and uh, I think others might be interested as well. Why Why don't you tell us a little bit about your background? Okay. Well, I guess it's been a long journey at this at this age. But um, I, I, sometimes I, I, yes, I do think of myself a little myself a little bit as a citizen of the world. So I was born in Calcutta, India, and then when I was ten, we moved to the UK because my dad worked for a British multinational. And so I grew up. I spent my, my the rest of my schooling years and university there. And then uh, I was going to become a chartered accountant uh, with the view of going into finance, but did a sort of a late decision, like maybe I uh, wasn't really cut out to be uh, an accountant. I applied to B-schools in the U.S., got in and came over. And then after B-school, was hired into the banking stream, the, the credit training stream of what was Nations Bank when I left, and of course, is today's Bank of America. And then within a couple of years after that, just kind of some interesting opportunities came up. I ended up you know, we were uh, opening up um, offices in Hong Kong, so we I went there as a very as a very junior person, as a very junior banker. Um, then I ended up in London a couple of years later because the Hong Kong office wasn't you know wasn't doing that well, and decamped to Standard Chartered, and then with the intention of staying in London because my parents were there, my grandparents were still alive. And there as well, my, my granddad had retired to London after a career at the UN and before that in the colonial civil service. Um, and then in about a couple of months, uh, the folks at Standard Chartered said, well, we're really an Asian and emerging markets bank. We had a lot of people in London, but we really need everyone to be in Singapore. So uh, I guess what? 
we're moving there. <laughs> and so with all that back and forth, we had, you know, and by that time, I'd, my daughter had been born. I had uh, we, we had got married before we went to Hong Kong. And then we were in London. My, my daughter was born uh, whilst, whilst we were there. And then so with a three, three-month-old child, we uh, moved um, this time to Singapore. And so with all that back and forth, we spent seven years there, eventually moving to New York. Um, and then I left banking and joined uh, joined a, a, a consulting company, which was um, really my first time working as a well, as a consultant or advisor. Uh, Treasury Strategies, which is now part of a bigger combine, and I worked with um, some people who you know really got very well known in the industry, even though it was a small company. And then what ended up happening is because we were working with banks, uh, a few people left J.P. Morgan and left to join ABN Amro. And uh, they came up with an interesting proposition. I joined ABN AMRO. And then two years later, um, someone left JP Morgan to join Citi. And then she persuaded me to join her at Citi. And I've been at Citi ever since, doing a variety of things. And then it's really over the last decade that I've been doing the, what I'd call the, 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 uh, the client advisory, or treasury advisory as kind of a primary, as a, as a primary area of focus. But I did a variety of other things and sort of product and, um, and uh, I've got it marketing uh, related functions when I've been then helping the head, the, the, the head of the business I was in at that time with their product strategy and business strategy. So it's kind of been a, a long journey, but in that process now, we've been at New York for a while. Um, so we have our main residence still in New York. And then we have uh, about seven years ago, we also bought a place in Portugal. So for the last seven years, we've been going, going there as frequently as we can. Because of who you are or your your experience, and where you are now at, at City as head of global client advisory for the Treasury and Trade Solutions Group, you know you probably are uh, you know, one of five people in the world who has has as much knowledge and experience and ability to talk to uh, to most national clients about their treasury matters, particularly on the operation side, and really help clients. I I, w- I would love to drill into how you see your mission in that in in that role and really what what drives you to be uh engaged particularly with the with with the client side i know you do some things on the internal uh, as well but really on the client side uh, I, I would love to get into that a bit sure i mean what the look it's 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 uh what keeps me interested in is is a couple of things one is uh, of course um, that the I'll call it just the domain of treasury um, is fascinating and ever changing, right? We can we can talk about that endlessly, and you and I sometimes we always do. have a good time doing um, that. But the other, we're 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 having a good time. We have a great time talking about that. But the other part of it is that, and 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 I really do feel privileged to be at City in that we've got this incredible client base who are, of course, um, headquartered from around the world, who operate around the world. I've got colleagues in literally in 96 countries around the world. And this sort of opportunity to kind of work in that sort of literal and figurative landscape and and bouncing around ideas, helping frame priorities, and then helping, you know, helping clients and colleagues think through to solutions. It's just it's just such a privilege to be able to to work here and, and create value. And I know there's a lot of other city bankers who've been been much longer than I have because of, of that 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 privilege and, and 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 being able to bring value to clients and and have a great time doing it. I I could see that you have a really fun role and within a really unique institution uh, with with the global presence that City has. So uh, 
of, of all the people I've met who have really interesting jobs, I, th- I think yours is one of the most interesting, Ron. So uh, it's it's great because of that vantage point. Uh, you also have, you know, you've been doing it for a while. Uh, you also have a, a probably an interesting perspective on, you know, what are the what are the big issues that have been confronting multinationals from a from a treasury perspective uh, uh, when you when you started off in the, in this advisory role uh, or even going back to your uh, treasury strategies days. Uh, versus now, what do you see uh, are some of the perennials that uh, uh, were out there when you started, and 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 what's changed uh, about the situation today? Yes, look, if if we kind of think about what it was, you know, a couple of decades ago, twenty years ago, you know, not long after the dot com um, era and the dot com boom and bust, you know, you had um, we we were of course the last two decades have been a time of intense globalization, so. The other way of looking at it is that there were companies who had operated globally for a hundred years or more by then, but let's just say that many fewer companies had been in that position. So it was a time when companies were expanding around the you know around the world. You had um, for many of them uh, for for the last two decades, emerging markets as 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 they're termed, have have been growing fast. So they were building businesses in them and and as they grew their cash flow or for that matter their cash investment needs into those markets grew and then the idea or the the issues of dealing with regulation and capital controls became a real thing so there was this sort of international expansion the complexity of dealing with regulated markets the complexity of managing foreign exchange exposures over uh, many more currencies that were many of which were restricted and then there was this sort of backdrop there, right? I mean, regulation was changing post, uh, post, of course, the uh, the events of the, the the early 2000s. You had Sarbanes-Oxley and the 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 reporting and transparency required requirements that had come in for companies, um, and so so there were, there were there were things that they were treasury teams were thinking through. There was, of course, Basel II then, uh, Basel II as it then was. Um, which had changed how, how banks, which is changing how banks were regulating and their appetite for certain types of business. So there was kind of the regulatory backdrop that was going on. And then probably the third part of it is this technology, right? I mean, we, um, you know, we had the internet available, but uh, I mean, treasury management systems and sort of advanced treasury technology was, was many more, well, advanced treasury technology was, of course, to be able to get onto the web and be able to do things on there. Right. It was it was kind of the early early days of let's just say come, you know, thinking about and, and doing something about technology as far as as companies were involved, particularly for what uh, as far as companies were concerned was this niche area called treasury, and that was just sort of like a bunch of people in a room doing some things that no one else in the company really understood, and the idea of giving them technology support was a bit 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 alien. So so those that's kind of that's kind of then, and, and as we look now. Well, some of those things are still true. Companies are, of course, still expanding, and there is often an issue of dealing with um, getting cash in and out of regulated markets. The 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 issues of of having liquidity, where there's in markets where it's tough to get out of, etc. So, so look, some of those things of dealing with sort of multiple markets is the same. But I, I think that and and, and if we're going to think about it now, probably. I kind of put my finger on two things that's different. One is that 
the pace of change of companies, business models, what's happening in the world, finance, is just, just seems faster. Maybe 20 years ago, it seemed fast, but it just seems fast, just so much faster. And so the pace of change is, is, is high. The other, the other axis or the other thing that, that at least comes to my mind is how data and technology has become so important to companies to run their businesses and do better and for finance and treasury to really have a grasp of to, to not just go automate, but to make better decisions, to, to be able to plan, to scenario plan. And, and the importance of, of technology and data has become, you know, has become so much more where it feels like it's become so much more. There are so many more, there's so much more of a stake. Um, at, at, at a time when technology and data and then the tools, uh, e.g. artificial intelligence, are also changing at a rapid pace. So, yeah, this look, some things never change, but it just feels like um, that in the sense that you're dealing with complex markets, you're dealing with the intersection of how do you how do you support the company as a group treasure, how do you support the company's growth, ensure the company has liquidity, manage and mitigate foreign exchange, you know, or financial risks in general, et cetera. But it's just against a, a time when, you know, both the, the environment around you, including the business and technology is changing so much faster, it seems, than, than we're. And then the, the need to be, be, have a clear vision and clear mind as what you're going to do becomes so much more important, it seems to me. No, that, that's well said. Uh, and, and, it, and it kind of brings to mind a, a couple of things. That, uh, that, that I'd love to ask you. I mean, the first is, you know, what are the Ron Chakravarty secret questions that you would ask a, a client to, uh, you know, start the process of improving their, their, their liquidity management payment uh, infrastructure? Are, you, are there, are there thir- certain things you look at, but are, are there sort of secret Ron Chakravarty questions that you, uh, you prompt them to 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 really get at uh, the essence of, of of what they need to do, and then h- how do you then bring uh, uh, the, the bank tool aspects of it in, into the into the picture? Yeah, I but look, there's a couple of things. One is uh, I'll, I'll describe get what we do kind of kind of from a, from a specific tool approach, but I'll go on to kind of how how, how I try and approach it in in terms of principles. And so we have this. Uh, a wonderful tool called City Treasury Diagnostics, and and uh, Joseph and you know we've uh, we've done some work on it together with some with my group clients uh, with one of with one of your one of your groups. We had a member uh, mention it in very positive terms just uh, just the other day. That's great. That's great. Thank you. I appreciate you the mention. The uh, and w- when what it does is it, it it basically provides us an ability to engage with a client, and uh, by th- through a series of, of questions they answer. Helps us helps helps us then capture the results, and then benchmark how they've answered it in terms of uh, the the treasury structure, policies, processes, and, and overall design against other companies and essentially other large companies, which is which is largely City's client base, and then be able to identify where they're an outlier, and then have a dialogue. They might be an outlier because they're doing well. They might be an outlier because they're maybe not doing so well and not thinking about something. And that's kind of the, it's, in, it's, it's, it's enorm, enormously helpful for our client dialogue, and which is why so many clients have taken it. 
But I guess if I step back and think about the questions we try and ask, uh, and, and by the way, even then, city treasury diagnostics just give a picture of where they are. But really, what I'm trying to understand, you know, more systemically is, is, is kind of from a current state, uh, kind of where they are today, you know, has the treasurer, has the treasury team, has the CFO funded treasury to get the fundamental building blocks in place? in treasury and and we have a we have a view as to what the building block should be and we kind of go through those in terms of you know working capital liquidity um, identifying and mitigate financial financial risks then that's so that's one to have the fundamental building blocks in place the second area is that are they doing the utmost to move from people dependency to well-defined processes. So by people dependency, it's obviously about, you know, if Ron comes in and does something, if Ron is out, it's a mess. Well-defined process obviously mitigates that because someone can come in and, and take care of that. It's, it's a well-defined process rather than people dependency. And the third is that, are they applying technology to digitize and automate at least repeatable processes, right? Um, so everything that's repeatable gets gets uh, gets put into a system for control and for automation. And then this is a little bit on the on the forward-looking side. How are they thinking about data strategies? How are they thinking about te sorry, technology and data strategies so that they're using data to make better decisions, right? And then particularly on the forward-looking basis, I try and then tie that to so how's the, the treasurer and team. And thinking about their treasury strategy more generally, um, driven by where the company is going and how they see themselves, uh, the treasury team creating value for the company. So it's it's kind of those things that really drive what I'd call the the, the top down and how how we engage. How can we help you identify what might be things you might want to look at again and. And then all of that proceeds, of course, then kind of the change management, which it's it's the end bank solutions are part of it, but a lot of our dialogue and engagement is really internal to the company. Um, it's it's frankly, you know, by uh, our viewers and, and City generously supports this is by offering client the right the right ideas. Um, you will have uh, you will be in a position for the client to give us their business. So we don't have to get deeply into the solutions. We can stick with the, let's call it the advice. No, that's a, that's interesting approach. And it really points out the, the uh, tremendous value of tre city treasury diagnostics uh, as a, as a, as a benchmarking database to compare uh, uh, companies out of the box. Like we're going to get to, this this leadership uh, study that uh, that you 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 co-authored, but as we get into that, is there is there any generalizations that you could make in terms of what an excellent treasury leadership looks like, and you know what separates the the world class uh, uh, treasuries from from the rest? It's interestingly, uh, it's um, so there is no there are no surprises there. Um, it really is about having a good way, um, a good process, a good organization, and um, good thinking to to uh, do a couple of the, the things that I mentioned a moment ago, which is efficiently fund your working capital, deploy liquidity, and identify and, and, and mitigate risks. But I think it's driven by a philosophy. Uh, what differentiates is is 
that that happens when the treasury is driven by philosophy of uh, we're here to support the company's top line growth um, and we do that by thinking about the business and what they need to be able to grow meanwhile of course we manage liquidity to make sure it's available for the right place at the right time to support liquidity we identify opportunities for financial efficiency uh, be it balance sheet or PL, um, at least from our, from, our, from our treasury assets and liabilities side. We, um, we automate, uh, but, but, the, the, but it's, it's a, we, we, we make sure controls are in place. But it, it's a mentality of, of that. It's that mentality of we're here ultimately to, to help the company grow. Um, and then the, other, the only other part of it is that it's, it's about principles-led decision-making, and which is to say that you can never set up policies or processes to, to answer every question you're going to get. You, you, you have to, this is philosophy, uh, both in approach and in how you staff your treasury, so that you have people who are empowered to make decisions based on principles, people who understand that um, there'll never be a, you never know if you're going to be right or wrong, but you always want to have keep optionality. Um, you want to think through the, 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 the upside. You want to think through the downside. You want to make a decision that gives you optionality as much as possible. Um, and then if you, and, and then you, and you give people the, the, the latitude to be able to do that, but led by good principles, led thinking. If you've achieved that, then everything else sort of becomes an outcome. Um, in terms of what you put in place for, you know, efficiently fund working capital, deploy liquidity, et cetera, becomes an outcome of, of all of that. So it, it's the thinking more than anything else. Unfortunately, you can't really apply a test to the thinking. I mean, you can, but it would be hard to get uh, corporate America to offer that matter, corporate Europe to sign up to um, do a little bit of a, what, you know, almost like a um, quasi-psychological test. So you can only look at the data in terms of what companies have actually done. And so we had to approach it from the perspective of what companies have actually done in terms of the processes and policies they've put in place and then the outcomes that they've achieved. Uh, but our, our, our conclusion after talking to clients at length was that it, it, it that, and not surprisingly, it all comes from the approach and the philosophy. So, so that maybe opens up a deeper discussion about this uh... This study that we we alluded to that uh, I believe you co-authored uh, called Treasury Leadership Does It Matter, uh, and and I think we, we we hopefully all agree that it does. So we could say yes to that, but you know why does it matter, and and what are the benefits that accrue to a company that's demonstrating great Treasury leadership? So I'll say by saying we we like you said that it. Feels like it. Treasury leadership does matter. Well, we hope it does. Otherwise, what, what, are we, what are we doing? We Ron? hope it does. Yes. <laughs> exactly. 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 And 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 then, but then the test we set is the set set uh, we we set is that. Uh, well, does it get? What's the most measurable thing you can link that to? Which is ultimately, does it matter in things that investors care about? Right, and that's the line we try to draw. And, and what, what we found is that for companies that have leading, so basically we, we looked at clients who had taken city treasury diagnostics, we kept the data anonymized, but it was a pretty good base of, of, of again, the, the, I call it the global large corporate universe uh, uh, 
um, heavily weighted towards uh, North America and Western Europe, of course, um, given the global large corporate universe again. Uh, but 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 very much sort of you know all regions in scope. Um, and then we tried to um, we what we did is we looked at the data to identify you know how we could group treasuries based on the structure, the processes, etc. They had in place by were they top quartile, were they by these objective measures we came up with, were they at the bottom quartile or were they somewhere in the middle, the 25th to 75th, the 25th to 75th group? And then what we did is then, then with the with the help of our colleagues and insight and work of our colleagues in City GPS, and also our colleagues in City Global Data Insights, uh, which is also inside the firm, uh, which is part of the firm, we looked at the market data, and what it really says is that. For companies that have the companies with treasuries that are objectively in the top 25% of treasury performance versus the bottom 25%, from a profitability measured, for example, by return on invested capital, there's an absolute multiple between the top and the bottom. From a growth perspective, in terms of net margin growth, you absolutely see a measurable difference in growth. And from a valuation, uh, both backwards and forwards looking PE, you see a clear distinction uh, between the top and the bottom. And and they, they were measurable and, 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 and significant. So for example, for return on invested capital, it's sort of the it's it's sort of three times uh, our return on invested capital between the top performing versus the bottom performing, right? And then it's not three times all the way through, but you see this these distinctions. And so a uh, conclusion was that yeah, clearly treasury leadership matters in ways that investors ultimately, on in areas that investors ultimately care about. Now, um, you could say, you know, now the question, the second question then became, which way does the correlation or the causation run? It's clearly a correlation. Does the causation run that top performing companies also invest in their treasury, or is it companies that invest in the treasury deliver top performance? And obviously, there's there's multiple factor going into it. We would we would argue that um, there's that whichever way the causation runs, it's unarguably the case that uh, and we've looked at outliers in the data that it's hard to find companies that are performing very well in valuation growth, etc., that don't have pretty decent treasuries. And the and and the, the 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 opposite is also true, right? Companies that are pretty decent treasuries are again measured against their peer group, not the universe at large, but generally tend to be the ones that do well. So, it's a clear and unarguable case for for CFOs to make the decision that they should invest in their treasury and people, process, technology, and if they do it right, they're going to get um, they're going to get that the, they're going to reap the benefits of this. It's tremendous to see studies validate uh, with 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 meaningful financial metrics the the value of, of treasury, uh, and I think treasurers can use that uh, that data as well to to build their business case for more resources, uh, you know, particularly uh, on the technology front, as we keep talking about as, as being so important. Is there? Was that was that the uh, was that the sort of hypothesis going in that you you hope to validate with this study uh, as well, or uh, um, did you have a different uh, assumption going in? The hypothesis it is the hypothesis we sought to validate that the treasury leadership does matter. 
The, and then within that, if it mattered, we did have a hypothesis that, um, that technology was an important part of that. But it was, the data clearly showed that, that when customers answer city treasury diagnostics and answered our questions about, I'll call it their treasury tech stack, if you look at that, which, which is sort of an outcome of past investment, right? Your current state is an outcome of past investment, even though we're not asking the numbers for the numbers directly. But it makes a difference if you have, a, I'll call it a well-integrated, a well-set-up tech stack that, that, you know, that you know, automates repeatable processes, gives you access to data, integrates with your banks, integrates with the rest of your enterprise well, all of those things that it makes a significant difference in treasury performance. And of course, that's, you know, one could say that that's no surprise. And, and, and generally with these things, it's the, the, um, it's, uh, it, it, it isn't a surprise, but it's proving that was the point that it, that, that it does, that it does come through, that the data does come through that, you know, A, treasury leadership does matter and B, one of the fundamental differences, but by no means the only, there are, there are very specific things that have, should, should be done. Um, but but that the, the technology that the investment and 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 deployment of technology is a key part of getting there. A couple other areas that I want to touch on before we uh, before we let you go, Ron. I mean, one is and and this came out in the in the study that uh, there seems to be room for improvement needed in uh, mitigating unexpected funding needs. And you know, I think the what we experienced during the pandemic sort of underscored this uh, most recently. But you know, we've talked about uh, uh, the importance of stress testing for non-financial corporations, which uh, is, is 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 much more uh, uh, stringent and, and even regulated on the on on the bank side. Be curious about your observations and where we are now in terms of stress testing uh, at, at at non-financial corporates. I think that we go through cycles where it becomes uh, it becomes uh, you know the, the evidence shows that it's that it's very important and of course we go through cycles where companies put more focus in that but it's it's um, it's it's probably true to say that uh, there are always going to be outliers but for most non-financials the approach the discipline the amount of work and keep keeping that stress testing and you know and and, and liquidity planning as a and liquidity and capital planning as sort of a core regularly regularly run and well-oiled machine it's just not there and and i think this is something where non-financials can can learn from banks um, yes as banks we do it because uh, we would be doing it anywhere banking as an industry uh, but let's face it, that regulations also um, set very clear and prescriptive requirements on banks. In fact, I think those disciplines um, can be ones where non-financial corporates can learn from because it feels like you know, every few years um, and sometimes more frequently than that, we go through some sort of crisis. We obviously had a giant and in idiosyncratic crisis three years ago now with the pandemic. Um, then we had the we had over the last 20 years, we've had several others, but making that be, a, 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 again, a well-oiled machine where it's a disciplined part of regular treasury planning, running, um, and, then, and, then, and, then, and then action based on the outcomes should become 
should become a regular discipline in treasury. And and I and I think this is where maybe companies and banks can be working together. Uh, we were at a client forum just just uh, let's just last week. I was in London and we were talking to some clients and kind of brainstorming a little bit about you know how do we you know how do we you know, how do we work together? How can we? Uh, I mean, obviously, as a bank, we can't do it for our clients, and not would be not we not should be. But how do we bring some of the thinking, and how do we help help companies think to some of the tools? Um, and 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 make that be some maybe it's part of the part of another part of the value add we can we can add to the industry. I know Joseph, you have a bank treasurer's group, and I'm sure, and I'm sure I'm sure you've seen firsthand what uh, what what you know how banks think about it. So, but I, I do think there's there's a lot of promise here. Yeah, it, it really really amazing uh, what banks do, uh, and and I agree that uh, non 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 bank corporates could learn a lot from them. What about the the other area where you know, we've talked about quite a bit is, uh, you know, I don't want to speak for you, but I, I'm a big fan of in-house banks and you talk about banks. You know, one of the things that I think the study showed is less than half of the, the corporates had had set up an in-house bank. I think it was 37% or something like that. How do you explain that? Uh, why why aren't more companies embracing the, the in-house bank as a means of centralizing their, their treasury operations? I think two reasons. One is People don't, uh, treasurers just don't realize, or many just don't realize the benefits of going through the exercise and deploying it, the benefits in terms of, of control, efficiency, uh, visibility, um, all of those things that what you just get when, what you get, all of the benefits you get as a treasury team and having, you know, ultimately a more disciplined treasury um, uh, a function, but the benefits you get out of that. I think that's one one reason, and I think part of this is so. It's maybe part of this is about making sure that you and your your groups, and we with our clients understand the benefits of that. And we've written many papers, and of course the papers get out our articles, and then people read it, and then we see an incremental pickup. Uh, but it doesn't really sort of get sort of a massive increase. Um, but the other part of it is also that it does take time and effort. Um, it takes system investment. It takes uh, change in processes. It takes people investment, and so um, it takes some investment in 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 either internal or external uh, support to look at the tax consequences. So it takes an effort. So sometimes it's clear that the company gets the value of it, but being distracted by you know all the usual projects that happen there's just never enough time to get the focus and start putting in the changes to start budgeting and doing the justification to have that so i think it's both and um but but the but the benefits are clear and 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 there is maybe this is one of the things that we do if i can use the word proselytize on that that not everyone's going to be in a place to do it and, and there's a right time and a place to set up the in-house bank but it should be a fundamental part of, of every treasury team to at least think through their journey and where they're going and whether why why that shouldn't be a part of that. Maybe turning away from finance before we close, Great. we talked about your enjoyment of science fiction, which I found really interesting. What is it about science fiction that appeals to you? And is there anything that it tells you about uh, what the future is going to bring for us? 
I think that the, uh, uh, I don't remember who said this, whether it was Arthur C. Clarke or Isaac Asimov, but someone said a long time ago that science fiction allows a way to explore humankind, where humankind is going, and the challenges we face, and how we might resolve those or not, as the case may be, and puts it, and, 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 and in fact, it, it, it allows you to really get to those issues without, but, but, but because you're not in sort of, if you will, today's society, because you're in some sort of uh, not necessarily well-defined future or a different state, a different planet, galaxy, whatever, it lets you get to those, explore those things, you know, easier, nope, not easier isn't the right way. It lets you explore those things in a more imaginative way. Um, and I think that's what makes it makes it interesting. I think it's less about the the technology, however hard science a book might be based on. It's not about the sort of the visualization, um, although that can be very very interesting. There are many science fiction writers who write um, prose that's that that brings incredible pictures to mind. Um, you know, just like you know, we are, we're all you know, in, you know, say incredible pictures from the Hubble Hubble, Hubble telescope, for example. But I think it's that explore, exploration of humanity and where humanity could be going. Um, and, and, I, and I think it's also generally, um, and certainly for, for people like Arthur C. Clarke and Isaac Asimov, and, and, and many, many writers since, an incredibly positive. It's, a, it's an incredibly, you know, uh, uh, technology, use technology for its good, but, it's, it's, but ultimately an incredibly positive view of humanity. And I think those are the things that make it be interesting that make it so interesting and why I've read it probably since since uh, boyhood. I think I read the Foundation Trilogy when I was in my early teens. And every few years, for, this is by Isaac Asimov, every few years I go back and reread that. And it's actually, by the way, as, as prose, it's not actually great writing in retrospect, I realized later. But it was just the ideas and that exploration of humanity that makes it so interesting that keeps me coming back. Ron, I really, really thank you First and foremost, for all you do for treasurers and treasury and enhancing the value of, of, of treasury, and, and probably just as importantly, uh, the understanding of, of measuring the value that treasury has in the, in, in the work that you do. Um, thank you for being a, a good friend of, of mine and uh, a good friend of Neu Group and Thank you for taking the time to be uh, on our podcast. We really appreciate it. Joseph, my absolute pleasure. It's been a great friendship. Looking forward to many more years of spending time with you. Thank you very much. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Neugroup's Strategic Finance Lab podcast. Please join us next time for more insights about the future of finance in the office of the CFO. I'm Anthony Michaels, editor of Neugroup Insights.